Grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Starting in verse 4. Familiar passage. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Let's pray. Father, today as we look into your word and as we discuss love and some of its attributes, I just want to thank you for the way you love us patiently, kindly, generously. Thank you that you're a God who cares, that wants to listen to us. Thank you that you're a God who speaks to us, Lord, through your word and through your spirit impressing things on our soul. So speak to us today as we study about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I should probably start by introducing myself. Uh, my name is James Dennis. I'm one of the elders here. Um, I know some of you are probably a little disappointed that Matt's not here, but it's okay. I'm super good at this, and you're going to be blessed just to hear what I have to say. That's a lie. Um, but we're talking about boasting, so appropriate, right? That's our subject today, boasting. Because occasionally when Matt's gone, I get to come up here and share, and I'm always blessed to do so. Thank you for allowing me. Not that you had a choice. Um, and as I do that, I've been kind of working through this passage here. Uh, we've talked about patience. We've talked about kindness. We've talked about envy. And so today we come to this statement, love does not boast. How timely a message for our culture. Because I have apps on my phone that are dedicated to boasting. We're getting good at it. We're getting really good at it. And what happens is every time that I have to teach one of these topics, I really, I read through and I study through a few times the whole book of 1 Corinthians. And as I was reading back through it this time, it struck me how accurate of a book it is for our culture. I mean, boasting is timely, but 1 Corinthians is applicable. It could be called First Americans. It really could. Because here's the church. Okay, Paul comes to the city of Corinth. It's a prosperous city. It's a secular city. And he plants this church and it's growing, and it's strengthening. He's there for 18 months teaching and sharing and encouraging and educating, and then he leaves. And it's been two or three years, and he gets this report back that things are not all well back at home. That the church, that the people there have succumbed to their culture, and they're bickering and fighting amongst each other. And as I read through it, I thought, wow, this reminds me of something. The first thing they're fighting about, tell me if this reminds you of anything, is they're incredibly sectarian. It's okay, I had to look it up too. Um, 
Sectarian means divided along ideological lines. We hear it in the news, like there's sectarian violence. It means that one group of people is attacking another group of people because of how they think. Not what they did, not even the color of their skin, but the way that they think. And this church is very sectarian. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter one. And I'm gonna have the slides up on top too, because we're gonna be bouncing around a bit. 12 through 13. This is Paul. He says, now I'm saying this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. See, what's happened is, since the time that Paul left, there's been other teachers come in. And some of them liked this teacher and the way he taught, and some of them liked this teacher and the things they did. And so the church has aligned themselves with individuals. That's my guy. I'm all about what that guy says. I'm all about what that guy thinks. And if you're not all about that guy, then I'm gonna argue with you, I'm gonna fight against you, and I'm gonna post bad things on your page. (laughs) Does this sound like the culture we live in? Maybe a little bit? I'm with Trump, man. I'm Bernie, Oprah, 2020. (laughs) And what does Paul say here? He says, is Christ divided Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, hey, church, it's ought not to be so. Oh, it's okay to enjoy this teaching or that person. It's okay to be involved in these things. But Paul says, it's become to a point that it's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your community because that's really what the book of 1 Corinthians is about. It's about Paul trying to repair broken relationships in his church and in the community around it. It's not just the church, it's our, it's our culture that is breaking relationships. Paul says, man, be aligned with Christ. So they're sectarian. The second thing we might identify with is they are obsessed with being right. They're obsessed with being right. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Here's what he says. It says, now therefore, it's already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Here's what's happening. There's all sorts of petty, insignificant, stupid little things that the church in Corinth, they're arguing about amongst themselves to the point where they're suing each other to prove in a court of law who's right and who's wrong. So I have a three-year-old daughter and a five-year-old daughter. They factor heavily into this sermon because kids are great at exposing human nature. Because unlike us, they haven't learned to hide it very well yet, right? So the other day, my two children are sitting in the living room and they are surrounded by stuffed animals. Like just surrounded by, you know those little beanie babies with the sparkly eyes? They have all of them because they have grandparents. And, <laughs> and they're fighting over one of them. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, right? And so as a good father, I come over and I just take it away, right? No, no one gets it. Because here's the thing, as soon as you started fighting over the thing, you forgot about the person. Well, they did this first or he shook that first. I don't care. That's your sister, right? I think it's good that God doesn't do that to us, yeah? I mean, you're fighting with your neighbor about that fence line. It's supposed to be two feet this way. It's supposed to be one foot the. I have got the survey from 1986. Well, I've got the survey for 1994. And the next day you come home and there's no fence, God just says, nope, sorry. You don't get to play with that anymore. (laughs) Because you forgot about people and you fought about things. 
and you were concerned with being right. I think that's our culture. I think that's Corinthians. And if that's our culture, then what Paul has to say to them probably applies to, to us. There's probably some stuff here I can learn. The last thing I see, there's a bunch of them, but the Corinthians really overvalue their own importance. Chapters nine through 12, they deal with spiritual gifts. And here's what happened in Corinth. Everyone had been given gifts. Everyone had been blessed. And they were arguing about whose gifts were better or more important. Some of them could prophesy. Some of them could do miracles. There was discernment and tongues and interpretation. And the people who could prophesy were like, hey, we're way better than the people who speak in tongues. That's ridiculous. No one even understands what you're saying, right? The interpreters are like, I do. I'm super important, right? The guy who heals, the man who can do miracles, he's like, dude, I heal people. Come on. I am clearly the most important. And because that they're obsessed with their own importance, what they're not doing is using their gifts as a church to serve the body. Now, before I go on, whenever I do a teaching like this, whenever I look into something like this, I always like to analyze three things. Me, our church, and our culture and community. Now me, we'll talk about me later. I got some problems. It's okay. <laughs> our church, I think we do this well. I think we serve well. I think we, we don't fight among super things, but we're surrounded by a culture that does, and it can ease its way into the church if we're not really guarded, amen? So what Paul has to say about these things is really important. And what Paul's doing in this letter is he's bringing the Corinthians along, and he's saying, listen, I want you guys to have right relationships, repaired relationships, good relationships, godly relationships. Because remember what Jesus says. He says, they're going to know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. Relationships are hugely important to your life, to your health, to your witness. And so Paul is saying, listen, we need to work on these things. Chapter one, he's working on unity. Chapter six, he's working on reconciliation. Chapter nine through 12, he's working on cooperation, but he's leading them somewhere because the book of 1 Corinthians kind of builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and then it peaks in chapter 13. And here's what Paul says to introduce chapter 13, the love chapter. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 31. He says this, but earnestly desire the best gifts and yet I will show you a more excellent way. I love that saying. I will show you a more excellent way. And then he launches into the love chapter, right? And the love chapter has a peak. It's four through eight. It's the description of the attributes or the characteristics of love, that it's patient, that it's kind, that it doesn't envy, that it doesn't boast. And so it's important for us to study through those, which is why we are. And every time I come back to these and every time I pick a specific attribute to study, there's two questions I ask myself. Why is it unique and what is its definition? Right, because this is a list. 16 characteristics of love, eight positive, eight negative. Why did boasting make the list? Why is it important? Why did it get in here? Why aren't there 15? The first thing I see about boasting that's interesting is that it really spans the gap between envy and pride, which are a couple of biggies. Because we boast for both reasons. We boast because we're envious and we don't want other people to be more elevated than ourselves. And we boast because we're proud and we're puffed up. 
But the other thing that's interesting to me is that this is the only characteristic of love that's specifically verbal, specifically to do with the words that we speak. And if you're gonna deal with the way in which you treat each other in order to have healed and right relationships, then the words we speak are pretty important, amen? Yeah, they're hugely important. And what's interesting to me is that as I'm a parent, and you learn so much being a parent, but as I'm talking with my children and training my children how to have right relationship and how to love each other, I deal a lot with the words they speak, right? Watch your tone, right? If you can't say something nice, don't. Right, tell her you're sorry. And if you don't sound sorry, you will be sorry. (laughs) But Paul has one, don't boast. Which means it's probably more important than I originally think it to be. Probably carries a little bit more weight. So what's its definition? The definition of boasting that we're gonna use today is found in 1 Corinthians 1.31. I'm gonna put it up there, or they're gonna put it up there. Two separate versions. Here's what it says. So as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, ESV. Or New King James, for as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So our definition of boasting is this. It is ascribing or assigning glory to someone or something. And we see in this verse that you can boast in the Lord. You can boast in his attributes and his characteristics. And we're going to talk more about that later. So you can boast in the Lord. That's a good thing. We can also boast in other people. Paul does it. 2 Thessalonians 1.4. Paul, speaking about this other church that he loves and cares about, here's what he says. We ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations which you endure. See, there's something amazing happening. God is doing an amazing work in the life of some people that Paul really cares about, and so he boasts in that. He glories in that, and that's a good thing. It's why one of the pillars here at Edgewater is celebration. We want to celebrate the amazing things that God's doing in your life that you sent in a prayer request and people were healed, right? That, that we prayed at the eight o'clock service this morning for that gentleman who was in the back getting chest compressions and before he left, he was cracking jokes. Like, I wanna know that guy. He was awesome. Okay, so he's getting chest compressions. We don't know. I'm like, is someone gonna die while I'm teaching? And then he, the EMTs come in and I can hear them in the back and they say, okay, well, what year were you born? And he tells them, and they say, well, well, how old does that make you? Trying to see his cognitive abilities. And he goes, oh, I'm just really old. <laughs> he goes, yep, I am old as dirt. <laughs> I'm like, that guy's fine. <laughs> Amen. And we'd just been praying for him a couple minutes ago. I think that's a miracle. And it occurred to me, actually, Brandon Matthews brought it up, like, what? What if he'd stayed home today? Right? Wow. Amazing. So we want to glory in those things. That's a good thing. But most often, this word boasting is used in the negative. And it's used when we ascribe or assign glory to ourselves. When I'm trying to get glory for me. When I'm trying to magnify me. 
And we have this tendency. It's the original sin. You go all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve are standing there. In comes the snake. What does he say? Eat this apple and you will be like God. And they go, ooh, that sounds nice. I would like to be like God. I would like a little bit of that glory for me. And so they take it. And when we do that, when we ascribe glory to ourselves, that's where this boasting thing goes sideways. And so I have a series of questions that I want us to think through today to find out if this is something we maybe should be more conscious of in our own lives. Some of them have cut a little bit deep in my own life, so we will be talking about that, okay? First series of questions. Do I take credit for the things God has given me? Or do I take credit for the advantages that life has given me? Do I take credit for the things God has given me or the advantages that life has given me? Because we've been given good gifts. And we can start to think that we earn them. So my three-year-old and five-year-old daughter, most evenings we have something for dessert. Sometimes it's ice cream. Sometimes it's jello. Um, sometimes it's fruit. You know, mom's watching. Um, no, she lets us have ice cream. I say us because I get involved. Um, Hands-on parenting. I'll have ice cream too. Uh, <laughs> but my five-year-old's new thing is this. We hand the, I hand them the two bowls for her and her sister. And the first thing she says is, did I get as much as Sabine? First question out of her mouth. And so as a good parent, I've started to mess with her. Um, and I do not give them equal amounts. I'm not just being mean. I have a plan here, okay? I have a goal. It's a long-term plan. So I don't give them equal amounts. So she says, did I get the same amount as Sabine? And I say, no. What's her next question? Did I get more? Did I get more? And sometimes she did and sometimes she didn't. And here's the thing that's so interesting to me. If she got more, it's always justified. Okay, so here's what happens. Did I get more? Yes, honey, you got more. It's because I'm five, isn't it? <laughs> or... It's because I did a really good job eating dinner, isn't it? But if the younger daughter gets more, never justified. Did I get more? No, honey, Sabine got more tonight. Daddy, why? <laughs> I can be like that because I've been very, very blessed. If you're sitting here in this room today and you drove here in a car and you live in America, you've been very, very blessed. We've been blessed by our community, our church, our country, our roads, our healthcare system, our families. We can read the Bible freely. And sometimes I can start to think that that was because of me or something I did. Well, obviously God gave me all those things, I'm five. I earned them. And how do we combat that? How do we combat it in our kids? Because I want to give my children good things and I want to care for them and I want to protect them and shelter them and send them to good schools, much like our Heavenly Father wants to protect and love and cherish us. But I don't want to raise entitled kids. Amen? I think the key there is service. To get your kids and your family involved in serving others. 
we have a mission down in Mexico that we're connecting with as a church body, uh, Carmen Sedan Mission. I'm sure many of you guys have heard of it. And one of the main reasons we're connecting with it, aside from the fact that it's an amazing mission, is we want you guys to have opportunities, easy opportunities, to take your family on mission, to grab your kids and take them down there. Grab your kids, grab your wife, go down to the gospel rescue mission, go to Joe's place, go to the pregnancy care center, go to the kids wing, serve. And what happens is as we go out and as we serve others, we start to realize, wow, I've been blessed. And then we understand that the reason God blessed us is so we can use those gifts to bless other people. Because we're God's arm in this earth. He left heaven, he said, hey, go and serve my people. That's a huge assignment. And he gave us things to do it with. Two weeks from now, at the church office, after the 11 o'clock service, there is a meeting because there is a group of high school kids that is going to be going to Nairobi, Kenya to minister in a church over there. There's lots of signups still available. If you have a high school kid that you fear may or may not be feeling entitled to life because they're a teenager and it happens, this could be a great opportunity. I went there a number of years ago and I served in that church. My wife and I did. The church, um, the congregation comes from a slum that's there. Horrible living conditions. Joyous people. Great community. They love each other. But there's a problem in that church. There's a problem in that community, really. And it's this, they've been fed a lie. Because a lot of the churches in that city, they, they preach a very prosperity-driven gospel. The idea is, hey, if God loves you, he'll bless you. If God loves you, he'll bless you. If God loves you, he'll bless you. And you have all these people who don't have very many blessings and they're like, man, God doesn't love me. They think God doesn't love them. That's the end result of us feeling entitled. They're surrounded by a bunch of people who feel entitled to God's blessings and they make them feel less. But when we serve and when we get involved and we get to know people and we don't judge, wow, it's huge. I think we can do that in our families. I think we can do that in our families to help our kids know their right place, understand the gifts. Ultimately, the question in this whole passage is this, who's getting glory, gift giver or gift getter? Because here's what Paul says. It's 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It says, who makes you different from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? If indeed you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? It's a gift. Man, we've been given gifts. And when we glorify God with those gifts, what a beautiful thing it is. Another series of questions. Do I find myself making false promises or promises that I can't keep? Am I all talk and no action? Because that was Corinth. They're all boasting about how great their gifts are and how awesome their gifts are. And Paul's like, you guys are not doing anything. And so he tells them in 1 Corinthians, 9, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, he says this, 4, 19 through 20, but I will come to you shortly. It's almost like a threat. I love Paul. I'm coming. I'm coming. And then he caveats it, if the Lord wills. So he says, I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Amen? So what are we doing as opposed to what we're saying? Here's another question. Do I contribute 
to get credit or to serve. Okay, this one hit home really hard for me. Here's how this plays out. I can tell if I'm serving to get credit or to serve by whether or not I complain. So I've been very guilty of this, back in the kid's wing, hanging out, working, talk to someone afterwards. Hey, I heard you're serving in the kid's wing. How's that going? Oh my gosh. There was like 43 year olds. One of them took their shoes off and was running around throwing it at people. I didn't even know three year olds could have stinky feet. It was horrible. (laughs) No one listened. Why am I saying that? Because I want you to know how much it cost me to serve. Glory me. Glory this guy. Plus, if we keep saying that, we're never going to get anyone to serve back there. (laughs) It's not helpful. (laughs) Do I make excuses? Because oftentimes, excuses are me trying to protect the glory that I think I already have. Okay, this happened to me this morning. This morning, I'm sitting down and I'm kind of reading through my last little notes before I headed off to the eight o'clock service. And I was thinking about tonight, we have home group. And we're reading through this book in home group. It's a marriage book. It's a great book. We're supposed to have the first two chapters done. I'm the leader. I have not read them. Yeah, I know. Not good. So... (laughs) What am I going to do about that? And then boom, in the back of my head pops a solution because I'm a sinner. And (laughs) here was my plan. I thought, I'll just explain to them. I've been studying all week long. I have four services I had to teach. Therefore, I could not read the chapters. And then God, because I've been thinking a lot about this boasting, was like, really? Because you know what you just said? You just said, I'm sorry, I couldn't read the chapters. I was doing something really spiritual. The other problem is it's a lie because the only way that statement is true is if I watched no TV at all this week. Then I would have not had time. But that's a false statement. (laughs) Do I make excuses? Because what I'm trying to do is this. I don't want you to see me differently. I think maybe you have a certain opinion of me, impression of me, and it's a little bit of glory and I want to protect that. But the problem is, if I'm always concerned about protecting that, how am I ever real with you? Why would you ever tell me about things you're struggling with if I always present this facade that I never struggle? And that's a lie, because we do. What about reverse boasting? Reverse boasting is this. Do you struggle with gossip? Are you overly critical? No matter what someone says, what plan it is, you've got something negative to say about it or point out in it. Because what we're doing there is we're trying to raise ourselves up by climbing on top of other people and shoving them down. And we do it because we believe that glory is a limited commodity. And I need to get some, and the only way to get some is to take it from you. And here's the thing. If you are trying to manufacture glory It is a limited commodity. It may not even exist. But glory from the Lord is unlimited. It's an unlimited resource. But when we struggle with that, that's what we're doing. We're boasting. What about silent boasting? What we wear, what we drive, the kind of house we live in. And I have to be careful here because God gives good gifts 
and he is generous. And some people have been very, very blessed. They live in beautiful homes and drive beautiful cars. I've been blessed. And God has given those things to me. And we can use them to help and to serve others. But sometimes what can happen, and I know this because this tendency is in me, sometimes I see some things that God may have given others, and I'm like, well, I want that. And since God hasn't given it to me, I'm going to take it. I'm going to make sure I get it of my own accord because I glory in the way people think about me and the impression that they have of me. I want them to see me as a certain way, and so I need to drive that kind of car or live in that kind of house or wear those kinds of clothes with that name brand. And the problem is this. Whatever we glory in, we will sacrifice to. It's Romans 11:31 and 12:1. It's this truth that just struck me like a sledgehammer in a sermon a number of years ago. It always comes back to me. If I'm glorying in something, I will make sacrifices to it. So if I glory in the way you think of me and the impression you have of me, and because of that, I go out and I spend money I don't have to cars or clothes or house, then I have to make sacrifices. I can't spend time with my kids because I need to be working those extra shifts. I can't give to my church. I can't volunteer because all my time, all my energy is going into sacrificing to get those things that give me glory. Glory me. It's all about the way we present ourselves sometimes. It's all about the way we present ourselves. What about those of us who don't want to enter into community or have people come over because they don't want to see the flaws that we might have? Right? Like, I don't want you guys to come over to my house for dinner because I have some really ugly 80s cabinets. Right? I don't want you guys to think less of me. Oh, I thought James's business was successful. Those are ugly. <laughs> right? Man, Chad's coming over for dinner. I better find my Bible, dust it off, put it on the nightstand, put it on the stand next to my chair in the living room. Do you think it's overkill if I put a notebook on it? He'll never buy that. He's <laughs> just going to leave the Bible there, right? Because I want you to think a certain way about me. My wife tells this story, and it so illustrates this, of a dinner that we had at Matt and Charity's house when we were newly married. So she's a young wife, learning how to be a, a, a caretaker of the house. She uh, wants to create and take care of and have a nice house for people and bless people. And it's an amazing thing. That's a good thing. But as a young wife, even as, you can struggle with those things and the way people think of you. So we, we go to Matt and Charity's house and Charity had made this amazing dinner for a large group of people. And she cooked it all from scratch. And I do not remember what the dinner was, but I do remember homemade potato bread with homemade basil butter. Oh. Last service, someone said, amen. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> amen. That's holy food right there. It was so good. So we get done, and as you would with a meal like that, there's a mountain of dishes. And so I think my wife went in to go and help the dishes, and Charity either said something or did something to the effect of, there's always gonna be dishes. Like, there's people here right now. And it made this huge impression on my wife because as a young housekeeper, she would think or could tend to think, man, I can't have a giant pile of dishes like that. I don't want people to think I don't take care of my house. And Charity didn't even think that. Her impression was, who cares about these dishes? There's people here. Because there'll always be dishes. 
right? I read a great quote the other day that said, based on the amount of laundry I've done today, I'm going to have to assume that there's people who live here that I have not met. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) There'll always be laundry. And what do we do? We just shove it in the closet and close the door. Has anyone ever turned on the oven and been like, what does that smell? And realized it's the dirty dishes you shoved in there the other day when someone was coming over? I did that before I was married, okay? We don't do that anymore. (laughs) We take them back out and clean them. (laughs) But it can become so important to us that people think of us a certain way that we're afraid to be vulnerable and we're afraid to enter into community and it, it hurts our relationships. It does. It really does. Do I compliment people? When I'm having a conversation with someone, do I use more question marks or pronouns? Do I ask more about yours? I, 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 me, 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 and then I, and then we, and the other day I, and my... Or do I ask questions? Am I a story topper? I've been guilty of this one, right? You know what this one, someone's telling a story and right in the middle of it, it makes you think of a story, which may or may not be way more awesome than the story they're telling. And so you're just waiting. As soon as they're done, I get to tell my story. As soon as they're done, I get to tell my story. Me, right? It can happen. And I've been thinking through these things And the other day, we have a new employee. He's a great guy. I'm just starting to get to know him. Not a Christian, nice family. And he's telling me this story. It's one of the first times I've really worked a long time with him. He's telling me this story and it made me think of another story, which may or may not have been funnier than his story. And because I've been thinking about this and mulling it over, God was like, what are you gonna accomplish by telling that? Wouldn't you be better off to ask a question? and learn more about him because he's, he's telling you something about himself? Why top that with another story? Why not engage? Why not listen? That's me. That one affects me. Final question. Do I think the way I serve God is better, more important than, or more spiritual than the way you serve God? I'm up here. Obviously, that's more important than setting up chairs. But we can do this, right? We can do this tendency. And the problem is that when we do that, we're not working in unity the way God designed us to work in unity. It's 1 Corinthians 12. It's the body of Christ. God says, hey, there's no unimportant members in the body. Without every member, nothing works. Play this thing out in practicality. I'm standing at my window the other day looking at this beautiful sunset. Now, if my members were as the members of a body and they were squabbling like the Corinthians were about who was more important, here's how this would go. My eyes, aren't you guys enjoying that? That is a beautiful sunset. You guys would not even be able to see that if it wasn't for me. Brain kicks in and says, dude, you don't even know what you're looking at. Like when you sent that information to me, it was upside down. (laughs) Neck is like, dude, you guys were looking over there before I got involved. Feet, dude, you guys were outside. Hand is like, you guys, the blinds were drawn, okay? I had to get involved. And what happens is when we start to elevate any position within the community of Christ, we miss out on the ways God wants us to serve. I think more often in the church, 
we don't necessarily elevate our own position as we elevate other positions and think they're more important than or they're more vital than what I could contribute. And so we don't contribute. Well, I could never get up there and share, so the, what am I gonna do? You know, I could never help out with the kids, so what am I gonna do? All I could do is park cars. They've got people who park cars. But the, the word says, what Paul says is, community is created when we serve together. Because here's the thing. If someone came for the first time today, brand new, and they sat down, and you sat down next to them, and you introduced yourself to them, and you asked them a question or two, and you shook their hand, and you gave them a hug, and afterwards you say something like, hey, I hope I see you again next week, you will have made a stronger impression on that person than anything I will say up here, guaranteed. Because it's the body serving the body. I can't say anything to that person, I'm stuck up here. But you can love on them and you can engage them. And when we start seeing those gifts as things that God gave us and wants to use us and not less important than or more important than or underneath or over the top of all the other gifts that God has given the body, then we cooperate and we serve together and it's this beautiful, amazing thing. It's this beautiful, amazing thing. But when we boast, or when we're surrounded by people who boast, we can start to elevate or de-elevate or value or devalue the things that God's called us to do. Paul says something important in 2 Corinthians. He says, listen, I'm not saying this to make you guys feel guilty. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians. Because the Corinthians, they read that letter and they're like, oh, Paul is harsh. And Paul responding to that says, hey, I didn't say that to make you guys feel bad. And when I found out you felt bad, I felt bad, but only for a little while because then I found out you changed. Because what Paul says is, hey, it was godly if it led you to change. If it made you feel condemned, it wasn't of the Lord. That's not how he works. But if like me, you think after you look at all this, like, yeah, I, I got some boasting stuff that maybe I should, I should think about. Then here's the fix. It's Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. It is what Paul is quoting in 1 Corinthians when he says, if you are gonna glory in anything, glory in the Lord, he's quoting this. Here's what Jeremiah says. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this. If you wanna glory in something, if you wanna boast in something, here's what it is. That he understands and knows me that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. If you're gonna glory in something, glory in what you know about God. Not how many Bible verses you have memorized, not how well you understand the Bible, not that you can pronounce a few Greek words. That's not what he's saying. He's saying glory in your experience of God's character. Oh, he's been so kind to me. Oh, he's been so patient with me. Man, God has been patient with me as time and time and time again, I've blown it. And he's quietly and gently called me back to himself and called me back to repentance and restored my relationship. He's forgiven me. I glory in that because that's amazing. He loves me. He'll never leave me. When we glory in those things and we use our words to glorify those things, we're boasting in Christ and we're getting this idea correctly. 
That's the fix. That's what we're supposed to do. But really quickly in closing, I have to say, even after spending 40 minutes talking about boasting, boasting is not the disease. Boasting's a symptom. Having no patience is not the disease. It's the symptom. Being unkind is not the disease. It's the symptom. And it's important that we treat symptoms. Don't get me wrong, because the other day, I was at the park, and there's a kid running around, he's just got snot dripping down his nose, and he's just sneezing on everything. Right? So we left. <laughs> I'm not dealing with that. He needs to treat his symptoms. And if we don't treat the symptoms, we can be like that. Just going around, just spewing on people. But just taking a little bit of cold medicine is not going to treat the virus. Just dealing with boasting is not going to treat the disease. See, the disease is sin and the cure is Christ. The cure is Jesus. Here's my favorite verse about glory. It's 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this, But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Here's what Paul's saying. He's just told the story about Moses going up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. You guys remember the story? Moses up on Mount Sinai. He's surrounded by the cloud. He's surrounded by the glory of God. And when he comes back down, his face is glowing. It's so bright, he has to put a veil over the front of it. What Paul is saying here is, listen, draw near to Jesus. Draw near to Christ and you'll glow. You won't have to put on a veil. It's Christ in you who will transform you into glory. You don't have to get glory for yourself. Christ dwelling in us, making us more like him, transforms us. It's what we remember at the table. It's the work that Jesus did. And the thing is that there's people who come to church week after week after year after year after decade after decade who've never fully given their hearts to the Lord, never fully accepted what he did in forgiving them and loving them. And all they're gonna do is treat symptoms. If all you're trying to do is have a better marriage or not boast or be more kind or be more patient, good things but unless you want to be more like Christ, unless you want to be conformed by him to him, it won't change you. And so as we pray today, as we think about these things today, yeah, think about boasting. It's challenged me. I got some things I got to concentrate on and work on. But what I really want to do is be more like Christ. What I really need to do is draw near to him and spend time with him. And as I do that, he tells me things like, hey, that whole boasting thing you didn't think you had a problem with? Eh, wrong. We need to work on that. And through him and the power of what he did for me, I can start to change. And we can start to affect people. You guys are doing this. It's amazing. Just be encouraged and continue. Amen? Father, thank you for what you do for us. That you love us, that you change us. Dwell in us, Lord. Change us from the inside out. Give us a desire to see you glorified. Not ourselves, but a 
deep-seated desire to see you lifted high. Let that drive what we say and what we do. Thank you for never leaving us. Thank you for the way you love us. It is glorious. In Jesus' name, amen.